How's it going, everybody? Today is going to be Conscious Bodybuilding Podcast, episode number 12. I have my co-host on, Jordan Matthews, and we're going to be doing this for, uh, we're going to be doing this on a weekly basis from now on, and just kind of documenting what we're doing as far as bodybuilding, and occasionally bringing on guests, but we're going to be much more consistent moving forward. Uh, we were just talking about your uh, nursing and, and what you what you want to do. I think we may have mentioned that before. Um, <clears throat> But like, what's going on with that? And then like, what's the direction you want to take that? Essentially? Well, uh, so essentially what's going on with that is just life, you know, like I, I would, I would try to get it over instantaneously, but as you know, like we both have to work and we both have to do yeah. like, take care of ourselves otherwise. Um, but there's uh the good thing about that, uh, is there's different like cohorts, like different groups of like classes essentially that start like throughout the year. So it, it's not like, uh, for me to start like with my next group it wouldn't have to be like a semester if that makes sense like it, it could be like i can start in like a few months type of thing like when i'm yeah. ready yeah um, um no you yeah, go ahead and then i was just gonna say like the direction like uh it wouldn't be like traditional like nursing in like the application of like a hospital i'd try to like get into like a HRT clinic or like a anti-aging clinic of some sort. I mean, obviously I'd probably have to start like the hospital level if I can't find something like yeah. that to do what is it residency or whatever you have to do to, yeah, to get, um, your, your degree and whatnot. That's cool though. I mean, um, I think where you're at like mentally and being able to bring that into an HRT clinic, I still think that there's like a lot of clinics that are like really, outdated like from what i hear you know like there's still there's still clinics that are like oh here's um your they're cooking yeah they they have this the standard protocol they give to everybody Mm -hmm. and then here's your you know 250 megs of testosterone a week and then an aromatase inhibitor and like exactly yeah so i see that all the time you're right about the ai thing i uh i was watching a video he's about this kid isaiah miranda and so i ironically um bradley martin has his own clinic in los angeles and he like oh, doesn't, really he doesn't talk about that but you'll see him getting like prp done or like some random like procedure type thing and he's oh. like low-key plugging his clinic but there's this yeah. kid oh my gosh the whole video is quite dumb the kid had like 21 nanograms per deciliter test and he was claiming natural and it's like, dude, there's no way you'd have this other than like Unless negative took a stack. HBTA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or you had a fucking pituitary tumor. I'm sorry. But right. That's other right. than that. And, um, and the kid, like he's talking with the, the lady and this kid's, he's, he's, he's a little bit older than me. He's 21. And the, the lady's like, yeah, so we're just going to have to put you on TRT. And he's, and she's like enlisting like a whole, a whole stack to him. She's like, we're going to have you do X amount of tests. She's like, we're going to have you do X amount of AI every day. And it's like, dude, why is, why is that like a premeditated thing? Like, why does he already need the aromatase inhibitor? Like, yeah, like, it's a, a kind of a, a needs assessment that needs to happen that you don't just go on those things. If you're using therapeutic doses, you shouldn't right. be AI. Well, I, I, uh, I, I had this book on audible and it was, um, the TOT Bible. And uh, it was by this guy named Jay Campbell. And, and basically, like, the whole book is essentially about that. Um, where, like, he's just talking about, like, that you don't just go. And, and obviously, we already understand this. Like, you don't just first go to an aromatase inhibitor. But, like, he talks about the whole system, you know, the HPTA and, like, how everything works. 
And it's so crazy because like, to me, I'm like, that should be common knowledge, especially if you run a clinic, right? This guy has this book. You literally could just read this book. You don't even have to be a fucking doctor to even just understand the basic things. Um, and then they still have these doctors. Like you just, it makes you wonder like how they are professionally trained for that. Like, um, yeah, you know, are, cause are they trained in like specific like steroid pharmacology? Like, or is that practice outdated? So they're being taught outdated stuff. So when they get to their practice, you know, they, um, they're still prescribing this stuff. Like I, I wonder where, why it gets to that point. I think it could be a mixture of, uh, like multiple of the things you just said. Um, yeah. I just think that they don't look at, look at it from the same perspective as we do. And like, even though, um, a lot of the knowledge we might have might be anecdotal, like in bodybuilding. Um, I think over time that kind of lends us to understand it better than people who get like not even practical application in like a classroom setting. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them, well, I mean, I think, you know, the people in research are, and, and I've heard this stated a bunch of times is like the, the reason research occurs is because we anecdotally observe something. Right. Yeah. But even then I think from an optimality standpoint and just like general health, like if you're looking at a blood panel and you understand how things interact with other things, like, you know, it would, sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Like from a bodybuilding perspective, it's like, I don't even think bodybuilding is up to date on that sometimes. I mean, I think we understand. And I think people who are looking at the current research understand like the interactions of certain hormones and stuff like that. Um, and understanding that the endocrine system better, but I don't know if that that's not obviously not common knowledge. It seems like. Yeah. No. And, and what's crazy about that is I think it's just our scope. So that makes it more, uh, that makes us understand it. I'm not going to say better because we don't understand all of it better, but there's certain things yeah. that you and I both have a good grasp on. But for example, <clears throat> I was watching this and actually Derek more plates, more dates went over it, but it was the Joe Rogan podcast that just came out with, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but it's Gordon. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. I saw the clip. And I, and I believe that guy's a doctor and uh, there was so much misinformation that this guy talked about. He was yeah. saying half-life for, uh, finasteride or something like that was like 90 days it's like dude no it is not like yeah days? like what yeah i don't I, know and, and he sorry to, to cut you off but okay. he was talking about you know anabolics as well and and he just even though this guy's a doctor and this is stuff that he actually works with because he's not looking at it from like i think our scope where like it's a very uh important role and kind of things that happen i just don't think he I don't know. There's so many things he said that were just clearly wrong. And it's like, this guy's on the Joe Rogan podcast. Right. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I think that's you, any, unfortunately, most medical practitioners, when you hear the information, it, it's either, it's, it's a lot of time outdated, you know, and that could be because they went to school. I mean, five, time. 10 years ago, but that's the problem is like continuing your education. Like how many like medical practitioners are looking up studies in their downtime? A lot of them aren't, especially because like medical school is so grueling like that, you know, five, 10, 15 years, sometimes like that amount of time it takes to even just become a, a doctor, like a medical doctor. I could see why some people are like, I hate this now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to like, you know what I mean? Like they, it's obviously thorough and it's thorough for a reason, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if you come to like, not want to continue to educate and you're not really passionate about what you're trying to 
to achieve, then obviously you're not going to be looking at research and stuff. Tell me why. Tell me why it's the nurses under the doctor who are doing all the work, bro. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's like a blanket, blanket statement, but, um, for example, like my friend Tanner, he, uh, his dad works with a lot of doctors who own their own clinics for whatever practices they're into. Yeah. And, uh, Tanner was working with a bunch of doctors down here to do like a program to set up like a bread blood pressure monitor and a weight scale that like instantly sends stuff through like the internet essentially to the doctor. Yeah. And he'd go to these clinics and he'd tell me, he's like, dude, like, this is a heart doctor and he told me to go pick up pizza hut today and like all he did was just like hang out in his office and then went home like type of yeah. thing so yeah you know, i mean well, it. yeah yeah maybe it's um you know maybe it it's the fact that it isn't as grueling to become a nurse but the thing is is, is when we start to look at it like you know obviously medical doctors are are very well like they understand everything very thoroughly, especially from a medical standpoint in medicine. But like, you know, are those shortcomings of not having current information? Like, aren't I, I think those are potentially dangerous. And if you have someone who's under you, potentially who's obviously this is all hypothetical, who's actually looking at current research and is up to date on information. I mean, in, in instances that could save lives, right? Like, because there may be something that you're doing right now that could have a downstream effect or, or something you do that, you know, I don't know. I think that's, it's all hypothetical, oh, but that's I think always that, the case. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. In, in hormone replacement, like you definitely could by taking aromatase inhibitor, you could be looking at like bone fractures and, and, and fragility and, and cancers down the line. Um, there's so many things that, that, that could have downstream effects if you don't actually thoroughly understand what you're doing. Um, and you're just kind of giving these blanket prescriptions. Yeah. So like another, like, and I and you don't just see it in doctors. Like there's a, I, I'm I'm not gonna say any names, but I know there's a, a really well known coach out here. And and I was looking at some stuff he was prescribing, and and just because there was a nandrolone in in some of the in the protocol, he instantly Cabernet. was like, okay, you have to use cabergoli. Yeah. Like, well, it's like, hmm, I don't think you have to use cabergoli, right. but all right, if you insist, like. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's so many things that could influence that too. I was just watching um, Vigorous Steve the other day. I don't, you've probably seen his channel. Yeah, I have. And he, he was talking about how, I think it was like vitamin B1 or B2, excuse me, mitigates um, the, uh, what is it, progesterone? Is that what k yeah. means? It, it mitigates the like conversion from, from, from a 19 nor to progesterone. So... In my case, I used to have high progesterone and then I started eating more red meat and it actually stays lower now when I use a 19 nor. And so it's like, again, that's a, that's a specific situation that I could have had a dietary change mm -hmm. and not realized and still been taking my caber, caber because before I knew I used to get like really high uh, progesterone and then actually not need that and then be crushing my progesterone to, you know, an insufficient amount. So, yeah, I, I mean, again, that's like, uh, and, and, and what I got from that is because, uh, what I got from that is the guy had a bad experience with Nandrolin himself and was like, Oh, I have Deca Dick. I ha everybody has to use Capergolin or they're going to be like me when it's like, well, you're not the yeah. same, even the people you're coaching. So, right. Right. Most definitely. I, I mean, that's the same with myself. Like I think that guy know that I had cut out probably could have been like, it was flared up by progesterone for sure. 
because what happened was the coach that I had at the time was like, he had me on like 40 milligrams of Novodex. So I was already, my estrogen was already crushed. And I was like, Hey, I think I'm getting like a gyno flare up. And I, I think at the time I was running like NPP, I, I vaguely remember. And he's like, well, bump your Novodex up to 80 milligrams a day. And so I did that like, cause I'm just like, okay, this guy, again, I've had this like trust with my coach that he knew what he was doing. Well, you uh, should, coach, you know? So yeah, most definitely. Cool, I fucking cool. paid a lot of money. Like I fucking better, you know, I paid, I was paying like 400 a month for cool. that. So yeah, exactly. Bro, I spent so much money on, on bodybuilding. We, like one day we should just go down the, like the list of expenses that I've had. It's crazy. Probably could buy like four houses with the, all the bodybuilding money I've spent. Um, but yeah, and it was like, and then I went and finally did my blood work because he didn't ask me to do my blood work. He was just like, take Novodex. And I was like, okay. And and I didn't know a lot at the time, but I like knew that like, maybe if I get my blood panel, I can look at it and like figure out what's going on. Kind of a sense, and, yeah. And my progesterone was like 15, I think, which is like high end range. You know what? Like here, I have it right here. Is it, is it like nine to eleven or something like that? I don't. Let's know. let's see if I can find that panel. I, I have all of them saved on my computer for educational purposes. From like what? Like 2015, 2016? 2017, I think that's when I actually like. That's when I hired a a coach like full time for the first time. Let's see. Blood work. You see my screen? Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah, 2017. Probably this one. I have a 16, really. Wow. Oh, my God, this is, like, embarrassing <laughs> to me because this is, like, this is what this coach has done to me. Low. Testosterone high. Latestroidal. See my asteroidal. Oh, I tested some GH there. Oh, I might, let's see. Progesterone, is it in here? How does that look? panel compared to your lipids now the lipids um my hcl is a little bit better my ldl is also a little higher though too but i don't know again i don't know how <clears throat> i'm gonna meet with a um well, i think i'm gonna meet with rp's doctor soon and just talk to him um i, I think his views on that are a little different but um okay so maybe it's not on this panel I think it was after maybe that I was continuing to follow his advice and then like, so maybe it wasn't him mm. and IGF one test on this one. T3, three, T3. Make sure your growth is real. Yeah. I think uh, 276. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know Stroidal's high here. I don't know about that. I just know you can test uh, to see if your growth is real by uh, like an IGF-1 panel or test. Yeah, there's. I've seen a lot of different stuff on the internet, like different opinions. Maybe it's not. Maybe I don't have this blood panel on here. I good. remember. I remember one where I did. I mean, like this is working with him. Like I had a 13 estrogen. <laughs> but uh, then again, why is my test? Maybe I was off. I don't know. <clears throat> Probably won't be able to find it right now. I don't know if I have this panel on here. Oh, anyway. 2,000 tests. What? I said it's like 13 estrogen, 2,000 tests. I'm sure I've been there before. So maybe it was after where I thought like I was following his advice still. I think that might have been what happened. And like I, um, yeah, I had like a high progesterone, but literally an undetectable amount of estrogen. So that panel is somewhere. I don't know where it is, but anyway, yeah. 
that's how, and, and essentially I had to get a $1,500 surgery because we never checked my blood panel prior to that. Right. That, that's um, not that bad of a price. I thought it was a lot more. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I didn't go to like, um, Stan re referred me to either Dr. Blau or another guy in, um, there's like, there's like Dave Palumbo's doctor in New York. And then there's a guy in LA who's really popular for it. And the guy in LA for both quoted me $8,000. And I was like, uh, no. So I went to uh, a guy who's local, um, that everybody at American Barbell had used. Basically I found him. I just talked to one of the trainers there and he's like, yeah, actually I had, had it cut out. And then his client that was with him at the time had also had it done. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, did you have anything come back? And they're like, nope. Sent me over to him. He just did a like quick assessment and he got me in that weekend too. He's like, it's either a four month wait. And I was like, okay. And she's like, we had a cancellation this weekend. I fucking got all my shifts covered and just got it done hella quick. That's pretty cool. I remember that, bro. Cause I remember I was working at the, the Brunel location. Oh yeah. I stopped by. Couldn't train for two weeks. Yeah. I had a like, yeah. fucking vest on and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was, that was uncomfortable for sure. Well, I, I remember asking, um, like, them if i could train a uh, flex and stand like oh can i train legs and they, they told me no because the blood pressure could make the stitches pop and then i didn't i didn't Ooh. know that i was i would have trained otherwise because i didn't think like oh i could train legs like it's not my chest um but yeah that held up good anyway uh, but yeah so that was like my experience with that um and i think that's another reason why it's not good to blanket prescribe that stuff but yeah uh, we, we talk about that shit all the time <laughs> um Seriously? what was i gonna say Oh, I was going to ask you, um, you're doing, uh, you switched programs. You were doing the RP template. So did you do one training cycle with that and then switch over? And like, what, 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 like just talk about what's going on with your training right now. Cause I want to talk about that. So, yeah. So I was doing the RP one, the arm specialization for a while. And then I wanted to do something with like more, uh, bang for my buck exercises. Almost. I just, the way the, the, the pressing movements were set up in the, the RP one wasn't the best for me. Right. So I actually, what I did is I, I found the legs push pull program from Jeff Nifford, but I kind of, a, I kind of, so I'm, I'm pretty much doing those exercises in that exercise selection, but with, instead of like him using the RPE scale, I'm using an RIR scale and building up in kind of the same manner that uh, okay. a Renaissance program would do what 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 does Je uh, jeff have like program like how does he how does so, he set that up so like some of the compound exercises might be like a percentage based but <clears throat> when you're doing them they're definitely like well below like three ir rir um but otherwise everything else like let's say if it says side lateral raises it's going to be like side lateral raises and it's like three sets and it gives you like a, a rep range and then it says you know like within his, it'll say like, you know, like RPE8 or RPE7, which should be like, you know, like two reps in reserve type thing. Right. And so the compounds you're saying, what what is, what is the RPE on those? He doesn't have uh, an RPE listed, but like, for example, like they, they feel well within that like two to three RIR. They're, uh, okay. they're percentage based on those ones, which is, I guess, kind of the means of like, um, Periodize, uh, periodize. Yeah, I can't say that word. Periodize. Periodize. Fuck, dude. Um, periodizing like the the increase in load with the compound exercises, you know. So like, might be like seventy percent one week, and then you know like seventy five percent, and then like eighty percent. 
Okay. So he's using percentages because I think Jeff has more of that like powerlifting um, yeah. influence. So you can see why he's using the RPE scale on the percentage. And I noticed John did that in his program sometimes too with the RPE scale and stuff like that. Um, does he like have you uh, go up from like, does your RPE uh, increase over weeks? So you're, you're saying your percentages increase. So yeah, does that also increase? Your... They, I'm sure they will go up, but I'm just going to keep it at the same pace as like kind of like how the Renaissance uh, training programs would go where it's, you know, it's that first week, which is like three reps in reserve in the next yeah. week three reps in reserve again and then goes to like two RIR and then one RIR. So it's going to be kind of the same thing like that. Yeah. Okay. This one has the deload week after week. Um, I want to say five. Uh, I'd have to look again, but yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see what his deload is. I haven't looked into that far in the program because I know probably. Yeah. I'm sure it's pretty similar because I, I know that Jeff actually does have a lot of influence from Mike. So, yeah, I think a lot of people do as far as like training science. Um, what was I going to say? I mean, it's probably his deload's probably like, you know, a, a certain reduction in volume and, and load. And maybe he, and obviously he has probably a reasoning for um, why he does all of that specifically. Like, did he, did it come with like an info sheet or like a. Oh, it's very well informed. So, like, there's like 30 pages before you even get to like what like the actual like thing is there's yeah a whole glossary of what all the terms mean there's like anatomical guides to like all the muscles oh, okay that's yeah, awesome it's really good actually yeah I, I mean i think jeff does a lot of that designing himself too i think so i think that's like that, honestly i think that's like the direction i may want to go eventually like I, I don't think i have the knowledge right now that's why i'm working to build it but like i think it's so cool how he creates all this stuff and then like his videos dude his videos are so good with the whiteboard yeah. things and like the yeah. Right. After I, um, I'm getting, I'm doing a voiceover, um, class online right now. Wow. Um, cause I, I think I, I want to, I I've been told that I have like an actual like talent for it. So on my days off, I'm like studying for that just to see if I can make some extra money. Once I get through that, I'm going to take a premier pro editing class. And like, I want to get like to his level as far as like a lot of those things. And like, I, I'm, I was just kind of like wondering like, how does Jeff like do all this shit? And it, obviously it's a lot of patience, but I think, you know, he's self-taught in premiere and, and yeah. um, mm -hmm. illustrator and probably all these other things. Cause I, I think, I'm sure he has people who work for him, but you can, if you watch his social media, like he does a lot of this stuff himself. And I think that like creative power is really cool along with his knowledge about bodybuilding. Like he's able to create really cool stuff. I mean, he's just been like on uh, YouTube for like so long. Yeah. Yeah. For years. Um, and it's crazy. You go look back and look at his videos and they're just, you know, his face in a camera. Um, and then you look at where he's at now. Like, I don't know if you've seen some of those recent videos, like the editing is fucking insane. I have, like the ones where he's like, uh, it's like transferring from like different voices and all these people talking to him. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, that's the one I was watching. I was watching that with Maddie and, and we like, were like, Holy shit. In the background. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching that with Maddie and, and, I was like, holy shit, this is like cinema fucking quality editing. Like just the way it's done. I mean, you probably his premiere pro is like seven layers of fucking just for one shot. Like it's just crazy. So um, I think that was like, that's always kind of like in the back of my head. Like I would like to, because I think that like that creative aspect is really cool. And like, if you could bring that to like bodybuilding, I think it'd be really cool. Like, cause I don't really see a lot. Like I feel like bodybuilding, it's like you get these fucking training montages with like some like dubstep and it's just some guy fucking lifting weights and it's like what we could do that better you know what i mean yeah most definitely
So, and, and even with the big companies, like what if we could bring something like that? Cause I don't know if like, have you seen those old animal videos? They're like black and white. Yeah, I have. Like, it, like Evan. Uh, I think, I think the guy who films is the same photographer. I think it's Brian Moss. Oh, okay. Yeah. Brian Moss. Or he, uh, or he puts a lot put into it. Yeah. But uh, like, if you've seen the old Evan Senapani, like road to Arnold, the road to Olympia, those are really yeah. cool. There's black and white and they're just him talking. Um, what other ones? The, like the Kai green, um, overkill. Have you seen that one? Um, oh bro, you need to watch that one. That's crazy. Like that is one of the most insane documentaries. It's just like Kai green basically is prepping for the Olympia and he's like in the desert, like he's in Vegas in some okay. like offshore hotel. I think it was kind of like, it was like docudrama, like it was fabricated a little bit, but at the same time, it's just like so From fucking I cool. Heard, I forget which one this was, but I remember watching this like when I first started lifting. It's that uh, Kai Green documentary, and he's like on the subway. Then he like goes to this like little like studio apartment, and he's like cooking that was probably the- that was after Overkill, probably. Okay. Well, like from what I've heard, is like at this point in time, he like he had, had yeah, and that was like all fake, and that like yeah, he like he didn't live there, and like he was just like in this like shitty little apartment, for, like dramatic effect. Yeah, I think there was a time where he didn't have money, like for yeah. sure. Like I, if you watch, there's like a Dave Palumbo. I don't know if it's an interview, but it was like Dave was just talking about like how he gave money to Kai Green for groceries, like when he this is before he won like New York or something. Like it was like his like one of those shows where it's like, I have no money and like the show makes or breaks if I eat next week kind of thing. Like it's happened a couple of times. Like it happened to Sergio Oliva Jr. Mm -hmm. um, A couple of years back. And uh, he remember, he said he was like giving, he gave money to Kai Green for groceries and he like cried and whatever. So I think at one point he was. And so what I think that maybe they were trying to create that, um, like that atmosphere of like that underdog, like because he didn't have a camera crew following him then like nobody gave a shit who he was then, you know what I mean? Or at least some people knew, but not everybody. So, um, so I understand that too, like where that where he's coming from from that aspect. Yeah. Um, but I think otherwise, yeah, it's also kind of shitty because it's like you 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 have this perception of like Kai Green and being this like, oh man, he came from nothing and he worked really fucking hard and and it's like yeah, it's like not all of it is actually accurate, I guess. Yeah, dude, but, I don't know. Those, Kai Green is such a character. I I. I mean, I used to be. What? Sorry. Good. I said Kai Green is such a character, and like everybody knows, all you have to do is look at his Instagram. But I remember, uh, you know the the TV show Stranger Things. Yeah, I saw him on there. Yeah, I remember I was watching it. I'm like, dude, that that's Kai Green. Like that has to be Kai Green. There's nobody else who looks like that. Yeah. Like, dude, that's just like the most random thing ever. But like, good for him, you know. He's on like at the time, Acting. like a really big TV show, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I remember looking that up because I didn't watch Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh shit, like he's on Stranger Things. So I like went up and looked up the episode. But yeah, I mean, I think I used to be like more inspired by him, but then I kind of like hearing like the stories and like the bitterness and like you know, and the fact that he never answers a question directly. Like I was like the philosophical thing, but at the same time, I'm like, bro, just fucking answer the question. Like nobody. Dude, I don't think he's a bad person or anything, but like everything for him is, is just about making money. It seems like dude, like when the, when the uh, game changers movie came out, he like made like a vegan ebook and told everybody he was vegan for like fucking week. And it's like, dude, all that to make like a quick buck. And it's like, yeah, I, 
it's really funny you say that because I was like when I was making my Instagram post last night, like I, I wanted to say something like really long and like basically essentially like I can see where these guys come from. And, and there's there's tons of them. There's there's Kai Green, uh, Jason Huzz, another example. Um, there's a bunch of other people who like essentially like gave up their bodybuilding career and for various reasons. But at the same time, like, I don't know, it's like it kind of sucks because these guys could have been incredible bodybuilders, but then they're like, you know, they, they are like, Oh, I need to focus on my family or whatever. Um, and you know, again, people can live their life however they want for myself. Like I see that as like, that's such like, it's kind of disappointing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, it's like, I don't know. It's obviously important to be there with your kids and like, and it's also important, like, you know, we understand that this, I understand, I respect hundred percent, like when people back out, because like, obviously this isn't the healthiest thing for them, but on the counter to that, like, are you truly fulfilled when you step away from, from your passion in order to take care of other people or to provide for your, you know, provide for your family, obviously very respectable, but at the same time, you know, did it have to be that way? Um, and I always think about that, like, you know, all these guys who back out and then they try to say it's for some other reason. And, and I sometimes think like, well, was it too hard? Were you not doing things in a certain way in which like you, 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 you lost passion for it because you were, you know, burning yourself out. I don't know. I always think about that. And like, I was thinking about it the other day where like I get in this cycle sometimes where it, it's like a cycle. I repeat like every couple of months, I am like super passionate about bodybuilding and I'm like, I can, I can do this. I can go really far with this. If I continue doing these same things over and over again. And then I'm like, Oh shit. Like, well, I can't make any money bodybuilding. So I'm like, okay, well, how do I make money? And then I find something, I work at it and then I get burnt out cause I fucking hate it. Cause I'm like, this isn't why this isn't what I love. Like I love bodybuilding. I love just bodybuilding. I don't love trying to make money off bodybuilding. I love doing bodybuilding. And so then I, then I'm like, fuck this drop my social media, stop doing all that. Like I just want to focus on bodybuilding and I just do that and I get much happier. And then I just repeat the cycle. Um, and it's like, I think sometimes people, I think this happens to some people, but it's like, they are like, how do I make money? This isn't going to pay me. This isn't, you know, this is like, and they, they get more caught up in like the monetary aspect of it, which I understand. But at the same time, like, does that really produce happiness long-term? You know, if you're like really passionate about this one thing, like, um, do that thing. You know what I mean? Uh, don't try to make money off the people who do what you love, do what you love, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. That's I, kind of my, you know, my rant. <laughs> I think it's all, I think it's all safe to say that Kai Green wish he like won an Olympia, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then I think that's what happened. Like, I think he realized, Oh, I'm not going to win. And then he's like, how do I make money? I'm going to make money off these people. You know what I mean? Instead of, I mean, yeah. look, I understand again, but at the same time, he stayed the same fucking size. Like why, why not? You know what I mean? Like, like it, I understand like, Oh, your health. Okay. Well downsize, you know, take your, your gear down a lot. Yeah, right. I'm like, the- just fucking keep competing. Like, but obviously it, it, he's a prime example where it's like, he switched straight to how do I make money? Right. And he hasn't, you know, his fans are people don't people like legitimately don't like him as a bodybuilder anymore or like, like his brand because his fans feel really let down in that aspect. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, well, it's like, like not to mention like the past fucking three years, he's been saying like, you know, he'll like make like teases about competing. Yeah. That's really but, fucked up too. Yeah. But we all know he's not, I don't know, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's this weird thing, but I don't know. I'm sure you've observed it too, where it's like, 
again, I respect people and their decisions, but it's like, you see that sometimes where people are like, I didn't, I I'm, I'm there's more people coming into my head as I'm saying it, but it's like, I wasn't successful at bodybuilding. So I tried to make money off people who are bodybuilders and off the industry. Right. Yeah. I can name probably like 10 people right now alone who are just like, you know what I mean? It's, it's a very interesting thing, but I understand. Like, it's like you also spend a lot of time doing that. And it's, if you can't bodybuild, then do something else you're passionate about. I just don't understand when people are like, they say some reason, but it feel like, it feel like it's like a, it's an excuse for why it didn't work out. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, I get that. I didn't have the genetic. Oh, I hear that all the time. I didn't have the genetics. I'm always like been. That's, that's like, every single coach. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, it's like, bro, like, have you seen some of these people's before? Like some of the best bodybuilders in the world? Like sometimes I understand, but like a lot of the elite guys, like they're fucking skinny and shit when they start. It's like, I, I, I don't get that excuse sometimes, you know? Cedric, bro. Yeah. I mean, does anybody really like, I mean, obviously like Ronnie Coleman or like some of these people like uh, Phil Heath when he's playing college ball, it's like, holy shit. But at the same time, yeah, I think it's, excuse me, I think it's a cop out sometimes, you know? Yeah, that's true. I don't know, dude. Uh... And then, and then they're like, oh, well this didn't work for me. So let me just coach tons of people doing the exact same thing that didn't work for me. <laughs> right. Because uh, again, I think, what was that? And then their reasoning is that they just didn't have the genetics. That's literally like, but like Phil Viz and uh, what's his name, uh, the the cement factory guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, don't know I remember name, but... them specifically <laughs> saying that. But... Oh, 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 a lot of coaches, like the guru type coaches in bodybuilding, say that. And I think one thing that's important to state too is like, so again, it didn't work for them, right? And maybe they don't have the best genetics, but they never necessarily took the time to learn what did work for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you get a, a genetically elite or a couple genetically elite athletes under your roster and you could do whatever the fuck you want with them and they'll grow. So that's how you build your, your clientele and your basis. Right. Versus like taking someone who isn't genetically gifted and figuring out what works for them and trying to, and actually making them progress. That's I, and it's funny where I heard that first, it was like Boston Lloyd is the one who said it, but it's, it's very true. I, it's very true. Like, it's like, he's like, I, when I look at like people who I like recommend my clients to, he's like someone who takes someone who's not genetically elite or not genetically gifted and actually makes them a good bodybuilder. Which again, if you look under some of these like gurus, they haven't really done that. They grab, they grab the biggest dude the best genetics, they get him really young. They get him when he's impressionable. And then they, they like, all right, I see this guy. I've seen people before. I know he's going to be, you know, a top Olympian or something. And then they just grab him and they write him out their whole career. And then they get clients based off of that. It's like, look at Chad Nichols. He has all these Olympia titles and it's like, well, yeah, it's cause you, you know, you got Ronnie Coleman and, and big Rami. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, and, and okay. And he's got like flex wheeler stuff too, but have you ever heard him explain anything? He he doesn't explain. I I know I know exactly. What yeah, he I'm like yeah, exactly. I mean, no offense to him. Like I think I think he has done a lot with with the clients he has had. But like, it's the most unscientific thing I've ever heard. Like it's just like the he's like, yeah, like, for real. Yeah, and him like talking about he's like the kind of guy who's you know talking about like stretching the fascia and like shit that we know isn't like doesn't actually happen. Like in your some fst7 training yeah and you're like how the fuck like 
but then you realize it's like yeah well if you get ronnie coleman and you just put him under a bar he's gonna be fucking ronnie coleman like it doesn't matter who's you know what i mean you put ronnie coleman in a calorie deficit and he's gonna get shredded no matter fucking what like and exactly dude so that's what like uh like uh fuad was asking chad he's like well dude like what about uh ronnie using like all that barbecue sauce and he was like ronnie could just do it <laughs> like that yeah, was no shit he was like yeah <laughs> ronnie just ronnie out trained the barbecue sauce that's I, i'm not even kidding that's like what he was saying he was saying that he trained so hard that it was okay that he used barbecue sauce yeah i watched that and then i'm like well it's like again. yeah ronnie trained really hard but i don't well, think yeah trained, it, you know like but- like if you ask one of those coaches to explain like energy balance, they probably wouldn't know what the fuck to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's crazy to me. And it's like, they're always like, well, yeah, like science doesn't explain everything. And I'm like, yeah, but it fucking explains something. It's like, you should probably know it. You know what I mean? Especially when you have clients using dangerous drugs that can kill you instantaneously, like diuretics, which half the time aren't even fucking necessary. You know what I mean? Like not. And it's crazy to me that these people are still around. Like there's people who's, who's in our industry who still believe and listen to these people. Like with all the information we have available to us on the internet. But I, I've, I've explained this before. I think like bodybuilding is like this group cult thinking sometimes. And, and it's really easy to get engulfed in it. Like if I was like, hey, Jordan, like, or, or you were like, you know, I want to be a pro bodybuilder and you go hire like a top coach and then you get, you know, you train at a gym where all these people that want to be bodybuilders and they all do the same shit. It's very hard for you to step away from that and say, you know, I don't think this is working. Like it, it, you're already in it. You know what I mean? And, and it takes a lot of like confidence to be like, well, you know, I'm in this cult group and I want to feel like I belong, but they're doing dumb shit. So maybe I should stand alone. You know, mm-hmm. you, you really have to be alone then because it's like, this is already a small group as it is. And you're like this fucking one guy who's like, Hey guys, like, I think that's kind of fucking dumb. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's what it's like. Um, I know uh, a couple competitors who they, they just changed coaches and this is the first time that they've ever uh, logged their lifts or trained in a progressive manner. Or yeah. Any set like, okay, I'm going to do these exercises today. Not the, oh, I'm going into the gym. Dude, lap pull downs sound pretty good right now. Yeah. I work out. Yeah, I mean, These I was there. Editors, bro. That I'm right. talking about. Oh, and some of them have their fucking pro card, and you're like, holy shit! Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. It's crazy. I mean, I, obviously, I I understand. Like, that's a great step in the right direction. Yeah. But then you still have their coach who it's like they they like take half the science. You know, mm-hmm. they only take like the parts that they like, and they're like, all right, well, let's train progressively, but you're gonna train to failure every set, and we're gonna do drop sets and supersets, and it's like exactly, fuck, dude. That's okay. exactly how it's set up we almost did it we almost had you you know it's this it's this fucking sorry i'm sorry it's it's no, like it's, you can swear and broccoli and like 400 grams of rice and it's like dude like yeah uh, yeah yeah so it's like i find that really interesting like i think you know mike mike talks about this on my podcast like he thinks and i really hope he's right he thinks that like if you're not using science in the next 10 years as a bodybuilder you're gonna be fucking behind you know who said that? Uh, Mike said it. Okay, on I my podcast, that. Mike Isertel. Um, and I, I think he might be right. Like, I think that's why I don't know if you saw it when I put it up on my story. Like, I'm reading the RP book on hypertrophy right now. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, honestly, like, trust me when when I say that, like, this is literally what elite bodybuilding training is going to look like in in ten years. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't I really don't see it working out any other way. Like, what's going to happen is enough people are going to 
have like, you know, maybe average genetics and then they're going to be doing really well in like their division. And then people are going to be like, holy shit, what is that guy doing? And then it's going to, and then if you're training like the old school guys where you, you know, burn yourself out and you're yeah. constantly hurting yourself and, and injuring yourself, you're going to be like, well, what the fuck am I doing? You know what I mean? Like there's gotta be, that, that's going to happen. I mean, it happened to myself, so I can see it happening to other people. You got to be really fucking stubborn in ten years to. I mean, even now to still be doing that shit, right? But I have it, a couple. Oh, continue, continue. Oh, good. No, it's off topic. Just continue. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, like, like you know, John Jewett. You yeah, know, I was gonna say John Jewett as well. Yeah, he's he's a great example. You're gonna see. I think like Terrence. I think it's Terrence Ruffin who. Terrence Ruffin kind of, trains with a hypertrophy coach who he has more of a. Okay, so the thing with Joe Bennett, the hypertrophy coach, he has a great idea of anatomy and exercises to and like certain tweaks and how to do them. But then when it comes to the volume, he's kind of the same. Like, okay, I'm gonna take my top set to failure and then have a back off set that's like yeah. to failure as well. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I was even looking at John recently, and he was saying I I read one of his articles because I like his um his blog, and he was saying that even um he uses a reps and reserve system for, for, for some exercises or I don't know how his whole program works, but yeah, I, that's, again, I think like they're getting there. Like I, that's again, what I talked to Mike about is like, we're slowly getting towards that, like a top set and a back off set and being progressive. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah. Good. My question would be is, do you think, okay. So I think, you know, like, let's say your deadlift, your squat, like pressing movements, those obviously need uh you know to be trained with reps and reserve because those are very fatiguing but do you think like a side lateral or like a, a calf raise doesn't need to be trained in that reps and reserve as much because there's gonna be less fatigue built up from just doing a side lateral to failure um as opposed to doing like a, a bench press to failure yeah i think the fatigue you that is generated from it is less and I think if you listen to like Brad Schoenfeld, he's like one of the most published researchers in hypertrophy. I think he kind of advocates for that for like advanced lifters. And I think Jeff Nipper does as well. Like, I think I've heard Jeff talk about that too. Um, it's funny. There's like a podcast where he did with like Mike and he just like essentially just kept asking Mike, like, what if we train a failure here? And Mike's like, no. And then he's like, okay, well, what if we do it here? And he's like, Mike's like, no. And he's like, well, what about here? And he's like, the only context you train to failure is before a deload. I think I'm reading the book right now and, and it, it makes a lot of sense, but I think where, where, what they think on this topic is that um, you still have systemic fatigue and you may yeah. be generating less fatigue but you still have, you have a threshold of fatigue that you're going. So again, if you want to be able to train everything in a progressive manner, you want to not be overreached. But what happens is you have this threshold, right? And it is systemically, as far as we understand currently, it's systemically more fatiguing to go to failure, but the gains in the research don't seem to reflect that that is more hyper hypertrophic so a two rar and a zero rar as far as hypertrophy are are Almost very similar yeah yeah exactly where the trade-off might be now maybe we're, we don't understand it thoroughly enough or or we're not we don't have enough research on that specifically 
but I still think that like what we currently understand, that's probably still smart to, to still use everything in an RIR system. But I've seen other coaches like Mike, or sorry, uh, John Meadows does this where he does the, he does the, uh, the compounds at like an RP of seven or eight throughout the whole pro training program. And then everything else. Uh, so like the RPE scale is kind of confusing to me. So I, I, I understand it, but at the same time, it's like, I, I don't like in the regards of gauging like my lifts. Well, I think it's just RIR, but it's just like, I don't know, backwards, right? Like it's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I think it's just like what seven is a three RIR, right? Yeah. 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 So it's like, it's, it's the same, you know, it's just, I like RIR better, but I just, just cause what I've been using and it's, and it's a, I don't know. It's like a lower number value. I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's the same thing though. I think mm -hmm. it's just perceived, perceived exertion reps and reserve is perceived. I think the way that like Renaissance does it, it's like, it's a little more objective, especially once you get towards those later weeks where it's like, there's almost no doubt you're at a two RAR on some exercises, right? Still always some subjectivity to it, but um, yeah, I think as far as that goes, I think just like, as far as what we currently understand, it's still, and, and the thing is, is we don't, we don't have the data in like bodybuilders and elite bodybuilders. I think even Brad Schoenfeld said like, maybe taking more sets of failure as an elite bodybuilder might be smart, but the same thing, like, like anabolics don't, don't, they like, they cause, you know, more muscle protein synthesis and more hypertrophy, but they don't like improve your CNS no. to any, any marketable, um, you know, amount from what I understand. So I don't think that you're still going to generate fatigue. And, 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 and then the argument to that is like, well, now I'm, I have much more muscle mass so I can use much heavier loads. So the fatigue generated by those loads is going to be much higher. So, you know, maybe there's like, maybe it kind of levels out there. Um, so I don't know. That's what I think about it currently. I'm really excited to get through that the book though. I've been reading and it's like really, it's really cool to like have all of their ideas on paper and, and kind of see what they have to say about all this stuff. Yeah. Cause we, I've just been watching their podcast for the longest time and like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'll, once I finish the book, we can do like a podcast talking about it. But. I'm down. A couple other things I wanted to go into was yeah. uh, we never took on the Olympia, and there was like a couple like, not that uh, they're going to see this, but little shout outs like Chris Bumstead, like the improvements uh, from someone who is a top Olymp Olympian. That's uh, it was yeah. white and like, yeah, yeah. His, uh, his back looked like a completely different back like i don't know how you have that drastic of a change and like with no weight change yeah like I that was maybe, actually, actually yeah. insane yeah i mean I, there, there could be because like he has like maybe a little bit of a film of water last year like he wasn't like still he yeah. wasn't perfect like last year like this year i think he like was fucking he nailed it on chris yeah yeah, like maybe water manipulation. Like the the improvements look like a 10-pound improvement, bro. Yeah, yeah, that's a crazy thing. And I, I, I don't know how – I wish I, if someone could explain that to me, like maybe on a physiological level, like how the fuck that happened, right? I think that's – I think it was crazy, though, too. It's just a nine-day. Like, like, yeah, that was actually pretty nuts. Like, it looked like a different bodybuilder. Right. Like, he, I, that made him unbeatable, in my opinion. Like, yeah. he just keeps coming, coming in condition, which I don't doubt he will. He's, he's like unstoppable at this point for, I think, for a I while, think, I think. Exactly. I think Chris Bumstead is in the position to, for as long as his health permits, he can be classic Mr. O. 
for you know how, yeah, however yeah. long it is. Well, and then he is, he now has a higher weight cap. Mm-hmm. And he I has think- a. 10 pound jump 10 pound jump and i think ian was saying like we're not going to like push it we're just going to like let him do what he's always been doing slowly growing but now you know what if he adds a pound every year like or two pounds every year he's just going to get harder to beat every fucking year you know what i mean like and he's already fucking unbeatable what it seems like so and that yeah and that's the thing i'm, I'm not i was going to ask your opinion on this <clears throat> do you think uh the ifbb should every couple years increase uh like the weight caps by like a couple pounds or something because like for example terrence ruffin who's second place now he can't grow a single bit so yeah. unless he gets more conditioned which he was already shredded this year he's not gonna be able to make a drastic change well i think that, that's not true because chris made a drastic change but um my opinion on that would be that so I think they put the weight caps in place because people were what, – what the complaint was was that Open was getting too big and they put the weight caps in place so that wouldn't happen. But I think the thing is is like the judges need, just need to hold themselves accountable for judging accordingly. And then – because the thing is is like what, when, I, when I saw this classic, I was like, wow, I got really excited. I was like, maybe I want to do that because like I feel like I maybe have a structure that may be a little more classic. But then I like realized, like I looked at the weight caps and I'm like, I could only be 225 or something. And I was like, uh, as a bodybuilder, like, I don't know if that's what I want to be. And I'm like a little bit short, like I'm an inch shorter than Arnold and Arnold was like 260. So I'm like, is that really classic? Like Arnold, like that's, that's like one of the first Olympians or the first Olympians. So like, um, is he? No, there's a, there's another, there's a couple guys before. Uh, But anyway, but like, that's like, that's when we, when you say classic, that's like prime example classic, right? It's like Arnold and Sergio and those Sergio was like 250 on stage and he was shorter than Arnold. So in my mind, like that was like, that never made sense. And luckily like Chris's structure, he can embody that at a lower body weight, but not everybody's blessed like that structurally. So in my mind, I think like maybe there's a top end weight cap for everybody, but at the same time, I'm like, why can't the judges just hold themselves accountable to judge a classic physique? Like if you go in there and you're like fucking look like an open class better get the fuck off the stage, like then judge accordingly to that. But I don't think the judges can hold themselves accountable enough to be like, to do that. Cause that's what happened with female bodybuilding, right? Yeah. It, it got so big that people were like, this isn't, this isn't what we used to think. And then they made all these subdivisions, right. With weight caps. Um, at the same time, I'm like, why didn't you guys just, you know, like judge accordingly, judge accordingly and, and maybe have different divisions, like maybe a yeah. little more feminine of a division. If people want to be like freak factor, then let them be. Uh, but I think people originally, originally liked like female bodybuilding for the femininity with muscular aspect. Right. Um, and so then it switched over to this thing because we just continue to let people get larger and larger, which is how things naturally evolve. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I always thought like, you know, especially someone who's shorter, they're at a huge disadvantage with these weight caps and these weight restrictions, right? Yeah. So, so maybe like, it, like maybe Chris, a top end weight, but yeah. So Chris now has, you know, like with this ten pound weight jump, he can be sixty pounds heavier than the guy who's in second place. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really that is it's like, genetics, right? But it's like this, this, you know, Olympia might start to get boring after like, you know, five years of Chris winning, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because we're like, we're like, all right, well, Chris is in first. Let's see who's in the second, third, and fourth. Like, you know, you're not even going to fucking look at him anymore. Yeah, no, I agree. They're, they're not even going to bring him on stage. They're just going to be like, everybody's competing for second, third, and fourth from now on. Yeah. 
Chris just comes out and gets his title. He's like, thanks, guys, and walks off. I think that's how it could be right now. But with with that, um, I guess shout out to the Canadians at the Olympia because Ian was absolutely shredded. Like, I do actually believe he had some of the best conditioning on the Olympia stage. Yeah, yeah. Listening to that podcast he did with Fulot after, like, really was inspiring to me. But, like, yeah, man, that's really fucking cool. Ian's come a really long way. Yeah, yeah, definitely is. And I, I really admire his his conditioning, like with the size he carries. Yeah. I wish that we could get that more toward. Like, don't get me wrong, Big Rami looked incredible, especially in his his side chest. But like, I, his conditioning wasn't fucking there. Like, I know that's another thing. I I was gonna ask you this. Like, I wasn't even sure what to say. But when when Rami came out, it's like, yeah, he does look more conditioned. But then like, dude, you could still pull up photos of him from like you know 2015, and he's more conditioned than. Winning, yeah winning the o this year yeah like, dude like i'm sorry there's still no lines in his legs i no. love rami rami looks fantastic like he's huge and he looks he looks great from the back except his his actually his back needs work but like dude i just don't know what made him like oh this year rami is so much on like was he though oh and his midsection i just look like at his midsection i'm like Ugh, like it's just not like, like it's not conditioned. It's like it, it's obviously it's it purport, in relative to his size. Like it's yeah. small, but like it's still fucking huge. Yeah, like, I really like. I wouldn't have been fucking mad if they gave Hottie Chupa Hottie Chupa in the fucking title. It's just because he's just so fucking shredded. Like he's just a ball of muscle. But I like he has a great structure. Like I think he has a great structure and he does really well with it. Um, you know, he has. I don't think he has any weak points for the most part. Um, you know. I, and then structurally Brandon probably next to that, but you know, obviously that's maybe an unpopular opinion, but I just think like the conditioning should definitely be one of the priorities up there for sure. And I feel like it's not right now. Do you think Brandon can make the changes that are needed to his legs? Or do you think that his legs are just like kind of more of a genetic weak point where they're just, they, they might not ever look like a, a Rami or Phil's legs. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's really hard to say. Like, I don't know exactly what they do in Kuwait. Um, you know, I what I've been understanding currently. They just don't train legs. Well, is is what he needs to do is 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 since he's so advanced and like to train his whole body, like the amount of demand that that takes. It's he can't prioritize muscle group if he's still training his whole body. Like he literally needs to put like his whole body on a, on a back burner for the most part and just train his legs. Like everything else is at maintenance. And then he just trains his legs. If he really wanted to do that, I think he can, like if, if you have the, the, the ability to put on muscle, I think you can, like, I don't, like, I don't really, it's hard for me to believe that he couldn't, but at the same time, I think it would take an understanding of like, Hey, look, you have so much muscle tissue. And when it damaged, when it's damaged, it's recovery needs are so high because it's so large that you need to, put everything at maintenance in order to improve a body part, right? You need to, everything else needs to go on the back burner while you, and um, uh, Mike likes to use this, this um, analogy when uh, Branch Warren wanted to bring up his upper body because his legs were so dominant. He literally stopped training his legs for a year and then did train legs for a couple of months. They came back and he was good to go. So maybe you'd have to do something like that. I have a hard time believing he couldn't improve it, but it, it, it's possible. Maybe he's at the upper limit for his leg growth. Maybe there's some cellular thing that does not allow his legs to get any larger, like a genetic limit, but I don't know. What do you think? 
I think he could do it. I mean, he he has Olympia genetics. Like this guy's yeah, a yeah. You know, like he's he's Brandon Curry. So I think I think he can make the improvements that are needed. And but at the same time, you know, I don't know if Rami should be his like goalpost. Like I think if he improves his legs. I don't I don't think he should like necessarily get like much larger overall. I don't think so either. And <laughs> that leads me to question why why Rami is. Mr. Olympia, but I don't know. I don't I, it's weird though because I felt as if they were going in the direction of like a Brandon Curry for so long now. You know, like we want smaller waists. It's like okay, well here's the guy. He's got the smallest waist on the stage, and yeah. he looks nuts. But we're, I don't know. You know what I think? I think this Olympia was like a mess. Like they kept pushing it back and pushing it back and it was uncertain and they're like just trying to save it at every stop. And so they're like, we got to do something that's like something we've never done before. You know what I mean? So like, so people are like, holy shit. And I don't think it works in their favor. I really think that's what, what is kind of going on in people's heads. Like they're like, how do we draw more attention to this? Because it's been a shitty year. I think they shouldn't even fucking have the Olympia to be honest with you. Like, with everything going on, like I, it got moved back to December. Now all the show's dates are pushed back. Now, if you're competing in the Olympia in December, you have less time to prep for the Olympia if it ends up being in September. Like, just yeah. fucking don't do the show. They said it's in September, and it's like, dude, like not everybody could, not everybody yeah. could make it. Like, I, I don't know, man. I, I think they should have just. Uh, and this is like i think it's really cool that everybody made it out and they still did it but at the same time i just i don't know that's what it looks like to me i just like feel like they were kind of disorganized and they're just like oh well like let's do something we've never done before that's internally how it feels maybe that's not how it like but in my head that's how i like process it i'm like this is kind of what this looks like is going on you know like i don't know yeah i think that's kind of good yeah but who knows i I think uh, what's up no go on oh I don't know. I forgot what I was going to say. Go ahead. I was going to say uh, Sean Clarita looked fantastic. Yeah, I was really that was really cool to see. Um, he he I was think, granite hard, bro. That was nuts. He, no, yeah, there's like he may be short, but like that was like literally, yeah, head to toe, fucking like not a single weak point. Yeah. Full as fuck, condition as fuck. He's so full. Oh my it god. Looked like- it was just going to explode. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that was really cool to see. It was really cool because like, I've seen a lot of Sean Clarita, like Matt Jansen talking about him, like how he couldn't get a sponsorship because he was so short. And like, people told him he couldn't be a bodybuilder. And like, he fucking won the 212 Olympia, like as like the shortest, you know, one of the shortest competitors. That's just, holy shit. Like that's so fucking cool. He beat guys who are fucking taller. Like, you know what I mean? Who have a, a much heavier weight cap and like, I don't know. I think that was really cool to see. I uh, and he wasn't necessarily on my radar to win uh, just yet, but dude, I, I don't know. So I it was really funny. So I I thought he was gonna be in third. Uh, that's where I think we had him on the yeah on kind of like a little pre third or fourth, I think. I remember listening to the podcast and it was uh it was Nick Walker and his guy sister Nino and Fuad, and Fuad was saying he's like yeah I have Derek Lunsford winning I have Kamal on second and then I don't know some. I think he said um, Ahmad Ashkani. I'm sorry if I messed up. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Um, and then he, like, you know, mentioned Sean. And then uh, <laughs> Nick was like, because, you know, Nick is with Matt and they all kind of know each other. Nick was like, yeah, Sean's winning. 
and everybody's like kind of you know like blows it off like oh yeah all right nick or wait i'm saying sean's winning nick said that yeah and uh and everybody's blowing like nick off <clears throat> and nick was like you guys will see he's gonna come he's gonna win this year but which is kind of a bold statement because like you know he'd be moving up from third to first which is you know not super common yeah. clearly but happened it makes sense like what you know on what we were saying because like i was saying like there wasn't a lot of consistency um, especially with like, you know, people who could be winning like Derek um, or Ahmad, you know, who I think either of those people could fucking win um, based on their genetics. But, you know, they always do like, I mean, I think Derek always does the same dumb shit, you know, and unfortunately, but I think he, you know, not only does that give Sean Clary an advantage, it, it also allows him to, you know, exploit that a lot. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure they have a game plan. I'm sure Matt knows that those guys, you know, uh, don't always, aren't always consistent and they were able to exploit, you know, two or three placings just based on that alone. And then obviously just otherwise just putting in the fucking work. I think right. Derek dropped down to like fourth or fifth. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not surprised by any means. Like I told you still working with the same guy and they're still doing the same dumb stuff over and over again. It's like, just keep repeating the same thing, thinking the same keep repeating the same process without obviously I don't know actually what's going on, but from the outside looking in, that's what it looks like. Like just keep repeating the same stuff, expe expecting something else to happen. Right. Cause he looks yeah. the same. Like he just looks, you know, he, he looks crazy. Even this year, I think his, his photos a couple weeks out didn't look as impressive, but it's just like, you know, it never translates to stage either. But yeah. So we awesome for him. Yeah. Um, I, well, I got some questions if you want to answer oh, some yeah. on TikTok. Yeah, with the TikTok Q&A. Oh, nice. I'm sure these will be like on a different level than Instagram ones. <laughs> yeah, they are. I had a I had a, a post that I did for like a Q&A, like go like semi-viral and I got like 250 questions. So I've been like That's slowly it. trying to answer all of them. It was like a lot of like specific things. So it's like I'm, two, I'm 220 and, and this percent body fat and this and how many calories I need. I'm like, Bro, like I, I charge for this service. I can't just yeah. be your coach. You know what I mean? Like this is kind of a lot for me to do. Not to mention I need more information. Um, okay, let's see. Okay, uh, first one is what's your opinion on bro split? Um, or for that matter, training push-pull legs, then repeat push-pull legs. Uh, what's Okay, wait, what's your opinion on a bro split? Uh, I guess it's what's your opinion on a bro split versus push-pull legs? When he's saying bro split, he's saying he means push, pull, leg, shoulders, arms, leg. I don't know what the fuck he's saying. Uh, what's your opinion on bro split, let's say, versus push, pull, legs? Well, I guess my opinion would be like, I mean, we, we've already talked about this science-based approach. And I guess yeah, push, pull, legs, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be kind of choosing your, your better bang for your buck exercises. And, and the frequency, you're able to do it, you know, twice a week type of thing. And I just think that's a lot better than going into the gym and being like, all right, I'm just going to do shoulders today. Yeah. So I think based on the current evidence that we have, the frequency is important for hypertrophy. And I think at least two times a week is um, the most optimal uh, or, or more optimal than once a week yeah. as far as the current evidence that we have. Um, so based off of those, um, recommendations alone i would be looking at doing at least a push pull legs if that's what you uh are looking at once a week is is not optimal 
maybe the reason why it works for some of these larger bodybuilders is because they have good genetics. And then also the recovery that it takes for um, some body parts because they're so large and especially because of the, the type of training they do may be like so demanding. Like I know Ian does yeah. or used to do a push bullet or bro split that, that the recovery takes a long time because they are training to failure and their muscles are so large and the loads they're using are so heavy. So also um, my, my opinion on this question might um, it, about how you're getting there. So, you know, legs push pull or push pull legs is going to be better for your trajectory upwards. But let's say you've already a- accumulated this muscle mass and we're talking about someone like we, we, we were a minute ago, Brandon Curry, it might, a, a, a bro split would be better I think for Brandon Curry, you know, if he does like just train like his legs really hard and then he doesn't have to do like, you know, like a full push workout the next day and a full like pull workout the next day type thing. I don't think he needs to, what I'm trying to say is he can get away with training individual muscles because. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, yeah, that's, that's the reason I was saying is I I still don't think it's the most optimal. I think there's like things that need to be like worked out there with that, with that athlete that is too much to discuss on a single podcast, but again, the amount of load that Brandon can use the, you know, they're training. He, he, Brandon doesn't train to failure, but he uses a ton of volume. Yeah. So it does take him longer to recover from those workouts. Could he potentially benefit from maybe lowering the volume and, um, excuse me, making his form more tight using less load, which causes less of a demand on his body, which allows him to train more frequently. Yes. But, he'd have to redo his whole training. Right. And I don't think a lot of guys are going to do that. So that's a specific case in which that would work. And I think that's one thing that the, literally the first chapter of that, that book I was talking about that I'm reading the scientific principles of hypertrophy. First tra- chapter is uh, speci- specificity. Uh, I can never say that word. And it just talks about like how your training needs to be specific to you. So again, yeah. you know, those cookie cutter programs, looking at someone else's split and then copying it is not going to work for you. Do I think, that a beginner level trainer trainee needs to be prioritizing muscles. No, they should probably, they could probably get away with a push pull legs, push pull legs, um, or even a full body every other day kind of thing. Um, you know, with not training anywhere close to failure, like upper, four lower. Five reps. yeah, yeah. Or upper lower. Um, but you still need to look at like specificity, like, and you still need to look at what, what, what your goal is and what you're trying to accomplish and not just go straight for a split that someone has predetermined. Um, and, and obviously it takes some educating. So maybe if you want to start with something like that, obviously, but progress into something that may be more specific to you yeah. and what you're, what you mm-hmm. need, you know, or you notice a body parts growing faster than another, you may need to fall back on that one and, you know, put, put the emphasis somewhere else. So that would be my recommend recommendation for that. Um, that's interesting that I got this question. I guess maybe my audience is more in tune with like what I'm putting out, but uh, would an average lifter be better served by listening to bro science or actual science? I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I, unfortunately, I think there's so many pitfalls to like bro science, you know, like it's just, um, I, I'll let you answer this. I, I have an, I have a way of in which I want to answer this, but like, what's your, like, what would you say to this? Okay. So, my my thing is I uh, hear all these people like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna refer this bro science to like anecdote. Anecdote holds some value, but why do people have to be attached to that when it's like, well, if what what is the point of science if it's not to progress, if it's not to learn and to get past something? So like if 
if the science method is going to be showing you, hey, we could do this in a better way, why not? Why would you not do it? Yeah, yeah. Optimality is, is a huge part of it. It's like like when I was doing the more bro science stuff, everything was so much harder and for, for no good it's reason. Because right? it's the grind, bro. You need to yeah. do cardio every day. You need, to, you need your cardio to be fasted. And you know what? You need to be eating raw chicken breast that you haven't seasoned and like just all this BS. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a uh, when it's like a suffering contest, and that's a very outdated way of thinking. And and it doesn't. It works for for it, it's. Uh, I, I like. I love to keep quoting Mike. I sound like his fucking. I don't know his fanboy, but he has a lot of good quotes. And uh, he said once it was like it's it's called survival bias. The guys who are doing the fucking hardcore shit are the ones who can survive that. The other guys have fallen off, and you haven't fucking heard about them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the 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 guys who are who are out there preaching that stuff are the genetically elite who could survive training to failure and, and doing fasted cardio and, and didn't get burnt out as a result or, or maybe even off screen it's, it's translating into some other issue in their life that they don't project. Like they have, you know, serious depression or anxiety because they've been suppressing their emotions or, or even better yet putting their emotions into, into, to bodybuilding, which they're like, you know, they have a ser- serious emotional issue. Well, I just feel the need in which to like suffer you know, as a result of something I did in my past or something, you know, it's just like, I feel like that's, yeah. kind of, and then you listen to those people and, and obviously that's not sustainable for you. We know as far as science, like what, what we can conclude a lot from science and maybe there are some gaps, but there is enough there to, to have a pretty solid understanding of things and make things happen in a way in which they are very efficient, very optimal. They are sustainable um, and, and I can say this right now, I was thinking about this the other day, like, what do I really think about this question? Like, I would be, I would be a professional bodybuilder right now if I knew, if I followed an evidence-based approach from the beginning. There's so many years I wasted, and obviously, without, not without a good reason, like, I think, you know, I learned a lot from that. But I, I, yeah, but I think, I think if I, from the fucking start, like, picked up at least what evidence we had at the time, you know, 10 years ago, and I followed it, and I continued that educational process, like, I would probably be professional already. I mean, that's 11 years I would have put in versus like the two to maybe three that I have already with an actual, and, and again, my results have been so much more substantial, so much more sustainable when I started doing that more recently. So that's my opinion on the thing, Yeah, you know, learn so as much to, as you possibly can. What's up? Exactly. I was just going to say to phrase all it up is uh, science-based, not a bro split or not a bro. Yeah. Science. Yeah. And, and just learn as much as you possibly can from unbiased sources, mm-hmm. people who aren't trying to sell you shit, you know, and, and just continue that. You don't have to be like perfect at first, but like, just try not to listen to the guy who says to fucking train harder. You know, when, when you ask him, how do I get better results? Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, how should someone main gain or lean out before lean bulk? I get a lot of these questions. Ah, uh, dude, main gain. He's bringing up uh, the Greg. Dupre. Yeah. Would you go into this or? Um, or I, I, I can give like my brief. <sighs> so wait, can you just state the question one more time? What's up? Oh can yes, should someone. Should someone the main gain or lean out before lean bulking? Main gain. Okay. Well, that. Yet again, all these are so person dependent. Like if you're yeah. if you're super high body fat, then I think you should definitely do a mini cut and be sensitive to go into 
an increase of calories because if you're already super fat, you're not going to be sensitive and you're going to have this big increase in calories and it's not really going to do a whole lot for you in my opinion. So then just make you more fat. So I think you should uh, probably do a mini cut if you're like super high body fat and let's just, that's just a general assessment. And let's say you're, uh, you're already relatively lean, then I, I, I guess you could just enter the, enter the, it's entering a bulk. That's what they're asking, right? Yeah. Or they're saying lean gain. Yeah. Well, okay. So if, it, if it's lean gain to bulk, I, I think the only difference is, is just not getting fat. Like I, I don't think it's necessary to get super duper fat in your uh, caloric surplus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because being sensitive to carbs and, and where that yeah, is going to go. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and to go off of that, I think that you should definitely like fix your terminology because it'll help you psychologically as well as your results. So um, let's just go through your like terminology real quick. Um, and there's no cut on you. It's like, this is what you probably have seen online. So, um, so main gaining uh, doesn't exist. There's no maintenance. And if you're either at your maintenance calories or you're in a caloric surplus, which would be what we call bulking or massing. Um, so, so there's no main gaining. And, 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 and what you're saying is like, you, there's no going from main gaining to lean bulking. It's like you're again, it's, 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 it's one or the other, right? There's, there's a caloric deficit, there's a maintenance period, and then there's surplus um, surplus. Now what you're referring to as main gaining is called re, the re, it's called the recomposition effect, right? And, and it happens in untrained individual individuals and people who are overly fat and sometimes bodybuilders who are using performance enhancing drugs. So, that's unlikely to happen. So it shouldn't be on your list of things and it's not a very optimal place to be. Right. Um, and so, and then lean bulking, uh, with that term, it, there's no lean bulking. Like the, the only optimal way to be in a caloric surplus is to not overshoot your calorie surplus and get overly fat. So you should always be attempting to lean bulk, but you can just call it massing or, or bulking. Right. So now to answer your actual question, should someone main gain and lean out before lean bulking? Depends on, like you said, it depends on their body fat percentage, right? So, um, you know, if you're at like 15% body fat, 15 to 20, you probably, I wouldn't even say mini cut, uh, mini cuts probably are from people who are more experienced in dieting who have like a couple of years based on what I read in the book. Um, and based on my own experience, cause they can be kind of hard. Like that was a really fucking hard diet when I did. And I did a super aggressive one. Um, but that, that definitely could be an application for you. I would definitely just look at your experience, how long you've been dieting mini cutting could potentially be an option if you've already been bulking for a while, but you may just need a conventional cut. Uh, if you're at the 15, 20%, uh, even maybe, I, I think you should be starting around 10 to 12%. If you want to like have a full off season of very optimal. So if you're above what you would think maybe is, is even like 13, 15, I would say 15 to 20, at least if you're in that range, you need a conventional cut, a maintenance period, and then a bulk. So that it's going to take some time if that's what's going to happen, but that that's how I would do it. And, and another thing to add, unless you're, unless you still okay. have more. Go ahead. Did you have more to add or? Um, no, I just want to see what you have to say and then I'll kind of close um, it out. Another thing is, so I'm sure he got this from like Greg, you said, or wherever this whole main gaining thing. So that yeah. what Greg is doing, what he preaches is being like these, he goes from being in a slight deficit to being maintenance and then to being in like a hundred, 150 calories surplus. And you're not going to grow off of that 100 calorie surplus right away. Well, you will, but 
what I'm trying to say is this is periodized. We're not saying like when you start bulking or massing, whatever you'd like to call it, jump a huge calorie surplus, you're going to slowly add in, in those calories. You know, when your weight stalls after adding a certain amount of calories, then you add more, you're not going to exponentially get fatter because your, your metabolism has been increased, you know? Right. Right. And you will over time, like it depends on how you're you're not going to like get as fat as just jumping to like a, a, a 700, 800 calorie surplus or a thousand calorie surplus right away. Right. Right. And then you, and that's not optimal, right? You're not ready for those calories anyway. So yeah, I mean, again, like, like, like what I was saying is like, but lean bulking is should be the only way that you mass or bulk. You should never overshoot that because it's unhealthy to do that anyway. Like it has a lot of downstream effects. So you should be starting with very slow increases in your calories. Some people it's, it's kind of a range. So you may need more than 200, calories. I like to use the 10% rule. So if your maintenance is 2000 calories, you increase by 10% intervals. So uh, 200 calorie increase from probably carbohydrates, uh, if you're eating 2000 calories already. Um, and that that's a good place to start Just adjust based on 10% intervals. And then yeah, excuse me. And that's kind of a similar question. Oh, I guess it's not. How do you go about dieting and training to recomp mostly for losing fat? as a basketball player? Well, so the recomp stuff that I have learned. So usually I'm, uh, I'm not one to be like, Oh, you needed higher protein. But I think when setting up a recomp diet, I think it will help you to have higher protein due to that, you know, the slightly higher thermic effect. But then realistically a recomp diet is going to be that moderate carb, moderate fat, more, more higher protein, and then just maintenance calories. Yeah. And, and, and that's if you need a recomp, but you're talking about losing fat. So I think we need to talk about the context in which this person's playing basketball yeah. and maybe they're also, they're talking about training. So they're talking about resistance training as well. So there's a lot that's going on there. There's a lot of fatigue that would come along with that. So if you're in season or you're training heavily for basketball and then you're also weight training and then you're trying to do a fat loss diet, you're going to burn out. So this, this recomp you're talking about, if you're not trying to make adaptations and improvements in, in basketball or training, um, then if you're not trying to make improvements in, in, in basketball and in, in training, then and staying at that maintenance is going to be okay. And you could probably still perform pretty well at basketball. You're not going to make substantial improvements at weight training. So if you're in season, you need to be probably at maintenance or maybe a little bit above maintenance in order to continue to have uh, increase, you know, and to continue to have adaptations from the stress you're providing your body, right? Um, so when you're in season basketball or, or, or you have a lot of practice going on, either training needs to go down or your calories need to go up, right? You, you can't because what's going to happen is your fatigue is going to be way too high. Yeah. Um, and you're going to get burnt out where I would say you should place a fat loss phase is like when you have the time to focus on training and you're maybe not doing as much basketball training. You don't want to be in a caloric deficit when you're playing or training for basketball and you're also weight training. Um, so yes, maybe maintenance might be a good place to start and you may get some recomposition effect. You may be able to create a caloric deficit by, by playing basketball and, and training. But again, that's not optimal if you want to be the best basketball player you can be. So generally in your off season, you'd probably maybe want to look at getting to a healthier body weight or getting that fat off that you don't want. And then you can, from there, start to increase your calories and try to make improvements 
um, it's just really tough because you got to navigate through different seasons. So like maybe one of your off seasons is actually spent losing fat. Um, and then you try to make the best progress you can during your season. And then maybe another, um, your next season spent making, uh, you, you've maintained that good, that lower body fat level. And then maybe your next season, your off season is spent weight training and trying to, um, you know, make adaptations in the gym and grow muscle mass. Um, again, though, your training needs to be specific. So, you know, there's always going to be a trade-off if you are playing basketball and training, like you're not going to get the best out of both of them. So, you know, if, mm. if you are doing both, you got to understand that there is a trade-off in that the, the less, the, the more different, which basketball and, and weight training are very different, the more different the things that you're doing are, um, the less, the, the more, the less compatible they are and the, the, the less progress you're going to be able to make at both. So yeah. maybe doing them in, in phases, um, you know, keeping your training at maintenance when you're playing basketball and then, and looking at doing these fa- these things, basically not trying to lose fat while you're playing basketball. If you want to be the best player you can be, um, you know, maybe losing fat in your off season and then going from there. But it's, 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 again, that's really difficult because I don't know what you look like. I don't know what your training demands are. I don't know what your basketball demands are, but try to look at things physically and, and look at bigger picture. Uh, remember that, that there's, there's a trade-off that happens when you play basketball and you weight train. Um, yeah, I know it's kind of a lot, but it's, it's really difficult. Like that's, that's, that's a, that's a lot to handle, right? It's not the habit hole of, uh, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. I could, I could talk about that forever. Like all the different things you could potentially do. Um, but that's what I could. And that's the problem. With it. And that's the problem with some of the stuff. Like, not not that his question was a problem, but I'm just saying no. like, it's so hard to generalize something that's so person specific. Yeah, uh, th- I mean that could be there could be so many caveats to that like that's if weird. if I was like if I was coaching this person, you know, I'd need their fucking basketball schedule, I'd need their training schedule, I need, um, you know, I would I would need their whole schedule, I'd need their yearly breakdown of what's going on the whole year in order to plan this out because it's like you can't just go at it. You can't just say I'm going to do a deficit. And then you got fucking, you know, two games in a weekend, like you're going to crash and burn. And then you're also training on top of that. Right. So I would have to know like literally everything if I was like going to be this person's coach, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, There's a lot of fucking coaching services. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Does main gaining work or a lean bulk for 11% then bulk up to 15 and cut back to 11 you want to skip this question and do something that's like a little different because i feel like we've kind of answered like two questions that were very like main gaining yeah i know that's like only questions i got that's it i mean i think that's it that's all uh, i got on this one post so i mean again lean uh main gaining doesn't work yeah Uh, that sounds like a but what they're saying sounds like a good um, idea i wouldn't say bulk up to 15 and then cut back to 11 though um, you know, bulk up to 15 and like you said, maybe a mini cut would be good for this person. Um, and then you, but you would bulk up to 15, you'd make mini cuts like 13 to 12 and then go back up and you'd bulk up to like 16 or 17 and then maybe do a conventional cut. Um, otherwise you'd be looking at doing a maintenance if you wanted to cut back down. Like if you got up to 15, you're like, all right, I'm good. You need to maintain that for a couple months and then you can do a conventional cut. You don't just go from bulking straight into cutting because you'll lose the the gains that you or some of the gains that you made. You know why I think this is a really prevalent question is because I think people like Greg Doucette have made it seem as if there's not people who fall into our camp where you're not getting fat or like overly fat. I think he's painting it as this picture is where, yeah, everybody who bulks gets 
30% body fat and then it's really hard for them to diet to a show. Well, for me, you know, I'm only at 9% body fat year round so I can get stage ready in a couple of weeks. And it's like, it's like, yeah. nobody, nobody's getting that fat. Like, well, I, I'm sure there are people, but it's like, that's not what we're saying or it's not what the majority of people are saying. Literally everybody's saying, don't get overly fat, stay insulin sensitive, stay yeah. healthy, but you're not going to build as muscle, as much muscle optimally staying at 9% body fat. Right. Well, I think the thing is, is if you look at Greg Doucette, he's in shape. He's not trying to get bigger, right? So if you're looking at how Greg Doucette currently looks, exactly, he's not, he's, he's not yeah. a good example to look at, right? And then it's not a good, it's not good to look at, well, not good to look at Instagram because people only post photos of when they're lean on Instagram anyway. And it's not good to look at elite bodybuilders because they have so much muscle mass. You can't even, a 15% body fat bodybuilder in the off season their abs are so deep that it looks like they're maybe 10. You don't even know. Um, and then sometimes they don't need to continue to the bulk and cut because they are at the size they need to be at. So um, like for myself, like I have to get like, so somewhat, what's somewhat uncomfortable. Like you can like literally see, you know, my face right now is like a little puffy. It's like literally I have to get somewhat uncomfortable to continue to make the adaptations and, and to continue to grow versus yeah. um you know, like Greg isn't doing that. So it's not good to look at his physique and say, you know, oh, this is what I need to look like when I'm bulking. It's like, no, you, you probably will lose a significant amount of ab definition. You still want your abs to be there. You don't want to get fat, but you don't want to not even try to push your calories up because you won't make the gains that you need to make. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so, I think that's, that's and, exactly. and some people, yeah. And some people need to get uh, up to, uh, uh, very uncomfortable, like 16, 18% to make really good gains. And they need, maybe need a, a it's, it's very based on the individual, but most people are not going to be looking like Greg Doucette in their off season if they really want to grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't use him as the example. He's not, he's not even a, um, you know, trying to continue to make improvements right now. So it's not someone you should look at his physique and say, that's what I need to look like. Right. Or anybody on Instagram, um, you know, tr try to learn how to gauge your body fat and, and, don't go above 20% in, in an off season, but you need, you could, you need to creep up over that to continue to make gains. You're not going to stay at the same level and, and grow muscle. You have to gain fat with muscle, right? Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's good. It's good that that needs to be said because yeah, I'm Greg has such a large reach and he says this stuff and people who are young and impressionable don't fully understand or grasp what's actually going on, yeah. you know? So all right, we probably wrap it up and probably need to go train and go to Costco and shit. Nice. What are you training today? Uh, my split's set up kind of interesting, very interesting. So it's like some shoulders and legs and abs and calves. That, that is very interesting. But... It, the way uh, Jared is programming it is obviously like the weak body parts go at the beginning of the workout. So it would be like the upright rows first and then we'll do some legs. That's my only leg training day of the week. Um, actually, no. I have another day where I do some squats and deadlifts and stuff, but sounds pretty fun. Not as nearly as much volume as my fucking biceps. I think we'll be up at like 20, 25 sets. <laughs> we did a seven week um, periodization last time. Cause I was going on vacation and I was doing so many fucking sets by the, I, I probably have to go back and look at it, but like I was in the gym for like two hours. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll let you go and I guess we'll, uh, we'll talk next week. Yeah, we should do it Sunday. Yeah, I'm down. Cool, bro. All right, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Talk about, uh, yeah, what's up? Still want to get 
I'm, I'm doing everything I can to get Victoria Felcar on. Um, I'm going to write another email, see if that makes any difference. Okay. Yeah. I, let's keep an eye out for more people. I'm, I just, I haven't had people on my radar just cause I've been like crazy with like moving and stuff. Usually I'm like looking at, I'll, I'll find someone. I'm like, Oh, I need to message them. Um, I have a couple people in mind, so I just need to, I just wanted to make sure we had a consistent like schedule and we know when we're going to be available so that we can do this consistently and I can plan out the guests. Cause I didn't want to like with all the chaos and everything that was going on, I didn't want to just like have people on and then be like, Oh wait, never mind, You know? So the next thing I want to dive into is uh, polymorphisms and like specifically like MTA, but MTA, yeah, MTFHR polymorphisms, like methylation stuff, like how our body. We should, we should uh, get on, we should get on with Matthew because that's like essentially what he's studying. Um, okay. he's, he's, he's studying genomics. And so he may have yeah. some background and understanding of that. Um, I want to talk to him about, uh, now, this doesn't have to go on a podcast or not. It doesn't matter. But, um, sure, it doesn't matter. So the whole thing, I think I've been doing like more and more research into it because it's super interesting to me. And I want to figure out if I have some of these polymorphisms because, okay, so you know how there's like two camps of people when it comes to vaccines, people who, who are opposed to vaccines and then people who are like, oh, wow, you're crazy that you're opposed to vaccines type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And... And from the more and more research I've done, I think it makes sense to me. Like, I, and I don't know why people don't talk about this, but there's certain of those polymorphisms that fall under the camp of M- MTHFR polymorphisms that your body like has trouble methylating things and your body can't do the process of chelation, which is where essentially like a, a regular person who doesn't fall victim to this their body you know because we're subjected to heavy metals throughout our lifetime whether it be in consumer goods or vaccines or so many things whether it be you know like your lead your mercury all that stuff right right. um so a regular person's body would be able to essentially like dispose of it chelate it out of the body while uh, chelating i think might be actually the process that you would do if you are, are messed up essentially but some people with this polymorphism can't so their body accumulates over time with these heavy metals like up, okay. and all this stuff. So they, they slowly feel like shit for their whole life. And then for example, you might get like uh like for example, Bactrim was an example of it, which is a antibiotic that has a bunch of mercury and heavy metal. And what that can do is essentially move the mercury and heavy metals like the, that were already in your body to like places like your brain. And then the only way for you to get out, get it out is like with this process of chelation which is a problem because chelation, all it's doing is also moving it around. So it's like you could then have this accumulation of mercury in your brain and literally be like autistic. Really? Yeah. And people like kind of shit on people who don't like vaccines. And I think there's a disconnect that I think some people are super anti-vaccine because they're a family member might've fallen into that camp that was like a, a a genetic specimen that had this mutation that absolutely got wrecked from like heavy metals in a flu shot or vaccines or something when like the general population usually don't. So the people are like, why are you tripping over vaccines type of thing? Uh, You know, yeah, it's funny because there's literally, uh, I I don't know if I've told you, like, uh, I don't want to say it like, uh, as like, I'll keep this person anonymous, but someone very close to me and my family who that's is very exact example of what happened like and we watched it and we know from our 
family history that that there was a negative reaction to this specific um, immunization. Mm-hmm. And so, and we, we stopped it at me and I never had those um, issues essentially. So, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a very like prime example in my family of that happening. And I've, I've spoken about it. Like I remember in my psychology class at one point I spoke about it and I had like a lot of like backlash and I was like, Hey guys, like, look, this is personal experience, but this is what I witnessed happen. This is what has happened in my family tree. And, um, I think there might be something there, you know, and, and I stopped at me and I didn't have the same reaction. So and I think there's, I think there's all this backlash because it's rare, you know, it's not super common for someone to have this gene mutation, but yeah. there are people that have it. So there's obviously more people that don't have it than they have it. So when someone comes out and they're like, Hey, like I have this major problem from a vaccine, essentially what I'm trying to say is I think there should be like a a mandatory before you get vaccines, a check on like your genetics and, and, and your genes and the polymorphisms you have, because we know what, what genes are bad that will cause this. So why don't we just check beforehand? And yeah. prevent someone from getting wrecked from because the- there's yeah there's this like cancel culture where it's like you yeah. you can't like you said you can't be opposed to them so yeah it's just like why are we it. not why are we not doing that that just blows my mind it's like um, all this is coming to my light right now so like i'm sure everybody's known about this for a long time so why right. does we talk about that why is nobody Wait, so we should get someone who also maybe is an expert on on this um who, who knows uh, polymorphisms and genetics. Um, there's one guy I can think of that comes to mind. Uh, he's like, he's friends with uh, Derek, more plates, more dates. Uh, yep. Leo. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, guy. I'm sorry. Uh, what was that? Not a huge fan of the guy. Me either. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, maybe he knew about this topic, but maybe he probably shouldn't, especially if we've said publicly, we don't, but I agree. I think a lot of the stuff he puts out isn't very accurate or, or whatnot, but we yeah. should find someone who, know, who works in, um, that yeah, what were you gonna and, say and spilling the tea on that leo and longevity guy he talks all this shit about everybody like fuad and all this all this yeah. stuff and he has a podcast with nick Trigilli, nick Trigilli called uh bodybuilding and bullshit or something like that and it's like wow way to be original but dude there's like four or five youtube videos of him calling like fuad fraud abiad and i'm like and it looked into their whole problem because uh, Fuad got upset that he made a video on him kind of like putting Fuad in a bad light, which I'm like, okay, that's your guys' thing. You don't have to call the guy a fraud because he doesn't fucking like you. But yeah, I what I don't like is he, he talks all this crap about Fuad, like saying that Fuad like, uh, tells people to do all these unhealthy things. And it's like, dude, Fuad and all them on the podcast literally joke the entire time. And if any questions come up, they're literally like, yo, like, this is just what we do. I don't think it works for everybody. Right. Like, they're not, they're not giving advice. Yeah. And then the next thing is, it's like, you're calling him a fraud. But dude, and you're saying that, oh, he's, he's, a, he's creating malpractice and, like, all these people are going to get hurt because of him. But it's like, dude, your co-host is a guy who has a company called Savior Sarms, which I've firsthand seen him like tell all these people all this. He, he sells research chemicals and Sarms to kids online and doesn't tell them that there's any side effects. He doesn't list any of this stuff. And you're going to yeah. tell me that. Who the person you're associated with. Right. Like you're crazy, dude. Like, uh, okay. We're probably going to end up on an episode now. If he sees this, but I don't know. My channel is pretty small. So, um, no, but I, yes. I, okay. He didn't reply. I was like, dude, are you, you you're going to seriously have a, a co-host who literally 
doesn't tell people that there's a negative feedback loop from these research chemicals and they're going to get suppressed and shut down just like they would off gear. Yeah. But oh, it's so, an oral thing and it's not a steroid. So, so, it so I was watching his channel for a while and then, and I, and I thought some of their discussions were interesting. So I was listening and then I started to see uh, on the informational side, uh, not only that, but, and I was always kind of questioning that. And I like, I like that you brought that up on the informational side of things. Um, him not putting out accurate information. Uh, the first thing I saw was he was talking, he did a video about Echopoise, Boldenone. And he was saying that once you get uh, high red blood cell somatocrit, you need to donate blood and blah, blah. And I was like, that's not, uh, I can't remember the conditions off the top of my head, but I was like, you don't need to donate blood if you just have high red blood cells. You need high platelets or ferritin to donate blood. Otherwise you'll become fatigued. And he was making these recommendations. And I basically said in the comments, like, hey, just quick correction, just so you know, so people don't follow this advice because this could be, um, not very ideal for their health that, you know, look, you need high ferritin or high platelets to donate blood. Don't just go dumping your blood. Your blood doesn't become viscous when it's, when you have high red blood cells, it, it's not how it works. Um, and he ended up liking the comment or whatever. Um, and then there was another video where he was talking about, so he's, he said that Stan, he, he, he did video Stan for Stan too, but go on. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I, I don't have any like personal, attachment to stan like I, I think stan puts out accurate information i'm not like a stan fanboy like i worked with him for a while he's a great coach um and i had and i and he put out a lot of great information but he's saying stan's gonna die uh by like age whatever and i'm like okay like what what foundation do you have to base this information off of like he he puts out his blood work he puts out his blood pressure like this this is a really fucking healthy dude um, yeah, and if he if he did die it would be like a freak accident there'd be like no understanding of why it happened right you're gonna sit behind your camera and be like hey like no disrespect to this guy but he's gonna die like he's so unhealthy and it's like all right bro like and and, and not to mention i think stan is one of the few in the industry that's putting out good accurate information but he doesn't he doesn't agree with the information he's putting out right so um one of the things was fructose and he was like yeah fructose is gonna give you is gonna give you fatty liver disease and and all the shit. I'm like, you're not basing your information off of the actual body of literature. You're basing your information off of like cherry picked information. And that's where I started to learn that like, you know, he's putting out this stuff about fasting and fasting doesn't have, when you look at the body of literature, fasting doesn't have any magical effects. Fasting is just another way to create a calorie deficit. Right. So yeah. I was like, okay, I just unsubscribed after that. I was like, I, just, like, I also just don't <laughs> like really. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, I'm he's like, off who I don't like here, but no, I understand. I, I, he's one of those guys I was talking about earlier, you know, when I was talking about people who didn't do bodybuilding. So they went in and tried Bobby to, Hoff, he's literally the biggest example of that. It, that was one of the guys, one of the names that went off in my head was that you, you, you like what, like you, uh, you won junior USAs and you're going to let your whole career ride on that. Like that doesn't, he, he got his pro card, okay. but yeah, he stopped after that. Right. But yes, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it sucks that it is that way. I, I would hope that he, um, you know, puts out more better information because it's. I see his channel growing, and I'm like, oh shit! Like more people are listening to this, and it's not all accurate. So, you know, but it is what it is. Anyway, we should find someone who does know about, um, you know, those polymorphisms. I, I'll talk to Matthew and see if he's dug into any of the research. We can maybe just do like a four-way podcast and maybe get like an expert on to talk about it too. Yeah. It, let's, I, let's I don't know much to... about it. I just it all kind of come to like with myself yeah. um, research and all kind of come to my mind being like, why is nobody talking about this? If this is stuff that is known and I'm figuring it out on my own, why are people not taking the necessary precautions so we don't have these two groups of people who are like, oh, if you don't get a vaccine, you're an idiot. 
when yeah. there's people who are actually being genuinely affected from like an actual means of you know it's it's not like yeah. i feel yeah. like these people think it's like folklore where they're like oh it's these people who get messed up from a vaccine they they just made it up and it doesn't it's not an actual thing when it's like no there's an actual mechanism of action it's because that one doctor was that got who lost his license um you know came out and said vaccines cause autism so now everything is discredited when you say anything against that mm-hmm. right and that, and obviously it's the industry it's what's being pushed but we can get into that more in, in the future. We should find someone who is an expert on it to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But also if you have any information or videos, send it to me because I want to learn about that. And I'd like to check my polymorphisms now that you're saying that because I probably have some of those if that's what happened in my family. So uh, there's a, I actually read the whole thing before Derek made a video about it, but it's from this guy named Brian Vander, who essentially he was, uh, he kind of actually knew Derek in like that same like self-improvement type realm, but before we go, I'll kind of give you a brief backstory of what, what this guy was about. He, uh, he had the polymorphisms and didn't know that he had them and his body was slowly accumulating with, you know, mercury and lead and, and, uh, he felt super tired and had all this anxiety and felt messed up all the time. And then, um, he had a, uh, essentially when he took Bactrim, which was, uh, an antibiotic when he was in another country, it rearranged the heavy metals that were already like being stored in his fatty tissue to like places like his brain and other places. And it slowly got worse from there. And he essentially wrote everything down, documented it and explained what he tried to, uh, how he tried to fix it. And, but it just got to the point where it was so debilitating that he like took his own life and all that stuff. But he wrote like a whole website about it and he posted it. And he said like for research purposes, he wants people to look at all this stuff and try to like fix fix these problems yeah yeah i mean send that to me because i mean i don't if, if i do have one of those polymorphisms i want to be on top of that as well it would make sense there, but... it's something like 57 percent of the population has a mthfr polymorphism but not necessarily like the ones uh the specific ones that have to do with like uh methylation and like essentially detoxifying and getting rid of these heavy metals and chelation but you think those MTHR? are that's more rare. MT HFR. HFR. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, let's do some research on it. Maybe in the next couple of weeks we can either get someone on or at least talk a little bit about what we know about it. Super down. Cool, bro. All right. Bro, it's well, good uh, talking. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Have Peace for caffeine. Don't get you too, bro.